0: It's good to have our eyes open to see the mistakes other people have made, not to find fault with them, but to learn lessons for ourselves. A foolish man does not learn even from his own mistakes. An ordinary man learns at least from his own mistakes. But a wise man learns watching the mistakes of others, not judging them, but learning for himself. Can you think of some lesson you have learned by watching somebody else's mistake without judging him? That's very important. initial tendency is to judge him. But to say, Lord, there's something I can learn from there. I have read the Old Testament like that. We have proclaimed in CFC through the years that we are not under the Old Covenant. That is the covenant God made with Moses on Sinai, with all those terms and conditions, Ten Commandments. We are not under them. We are under a higher law of the Sermon on the Mount. But the Old Testament, the 39 books, that is for us, that is part of the Bible, that is not abolished. And the main thing I can learn from those 39 books and from the historical sections of the New Testament is lessons for myself. And I believe this is one of the mistakes the Pharisees made. That they never sought to learn anything for themselves. They have very sharp eyes to judge other people. They even, it's not only the woman caught in adultery. They were watching even Jesus with very sharp eyes. They would send people to Jesus to trap him in his words. Can you imagine doing things like that? And they were supposed to be the most righteous people of their time. So the most righteous people of their time were the ones whom Jesus condemned the most. I don't find him condemning the... Herodians or the Sadducees, so much, or the Greeks or the Romans, or the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people who obeyed the scriptures and who had the closest in doctrine to the Old Testament Bible. It's a verse I've shown you before, I'd like you all to see it again. And those who haven't seen it before, let me point it out to you. Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is a chapter full of the denunciation of the Pharisees by Jesus. But if you look carefully, in the midst of this chapter, there are two good things that that Jesus said about the Pharisees. There are lots of things that we have to beware of and avoid. But there are two good things. And one of those good things is this. In verse 3, he's talking about the Pharisees in verse 2. Verse 3, he told the disciples, everything that the Pharisees tell you to do, do. What does that prove? That proves that all their doctrines were right. Like, Jesus cannot look at all the religious groups today and say whatever they tell you to do, do. Impossible. He cannot even look at all the Christian denominations and tell you whatever they tell you to do. Some of you have come out of Christian denominations. Why did you leave them? Because they were teaching some things that were not correct. Not that they were bad people. There were some things in their teaching that was not correct. So think of that denomination you came out from for that reason. Jesus will not say whatever they tell you to do, do you don't believe in infant baptism you're not uh, following their methods and many other things that they practice in their Christianity but when Jesus says about any group whatever they tell you to do he's almost giving a certificate saying all their doctrines their doctrinal statement is 100% right which group is that today Do you feel you belong to a group which has got its doctrines all correct? I don't want to be act humble, but I really believe that what we believe is exactly according to Scripture, in everything. So that Jesus may say, listening to our messages and all the sermons preached here, Jesus will say to people who come here, whatever they tell you to do, do. Because what they are teaching is absolutely right but does he have to say please don't watch their private lives the way they do certain things is not right their attitudes towards certain people is not right but their doctrine you can sign it, Jesus says I can sign it myself, it's absolutely true now if that is true we are pretty close to the Pharisees we might as well face up to it. And if so, we are to judge ourselves and cleanse ourselves. For many years, I have felt that one mark of the house of God, of the family of God, is what is described in 1 Peter, in chapter 4. 1 Peter, chapter 4, is what I believe is one of the marks of the family of God, the household of God. It's a unique verse, 1 Peter and chapter 4 and verse 17, in the middle of that it speaks of the household of God or the family of God and it says uh, it is time for judgment to begin Not to the unbeliever. Judgment must begin within the family of God. Are you part of the family of God? Judgment must begin with you. And this judgment must begin with us first. So I have taken that very seriously now for many, many years in my life. I can stand before God and say this. (coughs) God is my witness that every single day of my life (coughs) for many years now, I have judged myself in something or the other. (coughs) I preach a sermon. I go away and judge myself. What was there that I could have done better or I should not have said or I should have said or did I bore people? Did I take too long? I'm judging myself all the time, even in a thing like that. Even though preaching a sermon may be a good thing and hundred and one people may have come and told me they were blessed by it. Okay, but I still judge myself. I sometimes listen to my own sermons on YouTube and say, Lord, show me, is there something I need to cleanse myself, I do not, that is is simply saying, I am not perfect. When I judge myself, I am testifying to the Lord, Lord, I am not perfect. And So I'm not perfect in my preaching, I'm not perfect in my living, I keep judging myself in my relationship with my wife even though I never lose my temper at her any time. But I judge myself, I say, Lord that's not enough. Uh, I don't want my testimony to be negative. The testimony, it's not The Bible doesn't say, husbands don't lose your temper at your wife. Uh, that's a negative thing. The, the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, is a positive thing. So the mere fact I don't lose my temper at my wife, that's okay, it's good, but that's not the great thing. The great thing is to learn to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I haven't got there yet. I'm working my way towards it. My point is, as long as you... I think all of us will say, we have not become like Christ. We all say that. But what are you doing about it? I mean, it's like saying a child wants to complete, let's say, at least 12th grade. And... He says, I haven't attained twelfth grade, but he doesn't want to sit in the second grade all his life, no. Every year it's going forward, it's examination in the class, it's a promotion to the next. That's how our life must be and you'll never be promoted in the Christian life to a higher level if you are not judging yourself, it is the mark of the family of God. And this is a very precious verse to me, ever since I understood this great truth that anyone who acknowledges that he has not become like Christ will be judging himself every day. And if he does that, what will happen is, he will make progress not once in a year, children get promoted to the next class once in a year, but a true Christian can be promoted every day. Let me show you that. That's how Paul lived. That's the challenge that comes to me. Second Corinthians in chapter four. We read Paul says in the verse sixteen, Second Corinthians four sixteen, in the middle of that verse, our outer man, that is our physical body, is decaying every day. I mean doctors will tell you There are thousands of cells dying in our body every day, blood cells, brain cells are dying. That's why as people get older their memory becomes weaker because brain cells are dying by the hundreds every day. And our outer body is decaying, but he says in the same way our inner man is being renewed every day. I mean the body doesn't take a break for one month, okay, and no cells will die in this one month. (laughs) No such thing. Even if you're the healthiest person in the world, your brain cells are dying every day, whether you like it or not, and many parts of the other part of your body, there are cells that are dying. Some blood cells are replaced, but there are cells dying every day. And it never takes a holiday. In the same way, the opposite of that, the inner man should be renewed every day. Renewed means a little more like Christ. That's the only meaning of renewal. A little more like Jesus Christ than I was, not last year, than I was yesterday Okay, we haven't got there fine, let's work on it when you read something like that, does it challenge you? that's my question not have you attained it, when I read something in scripture my first question is not have I attained it but does it challenge me that I want to get there I want to be where Paul was there are many things, you know if you read scripture, take a challenge from the life of any of these men. For example, John the Baptist. I was just reading what I read many times before. Somebody came to John the Baptist. You know how great preachers like to be famous and known and that's what puffs them up and ruins them. People came to John the Baptist and said, are you Elijah? Now he could have said, "Uh, people think I'm Elijah. (laughs) He says, no, he didn't even think like that. Are you that prophet, Messiah? Oh no. (laughs) What are you? This is what challenged me. Read it in John chapter 1. I am a voice. Brother, sister, are you willing to be just a voice? A voice for Jesus? Nobody sees your face. Nobody knows your name. That's the way the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Are you willing to be a person whose name nobody knows? Whose face nobody recognizes? Anywhere you go? You're not a famous person, you're just an unknown, but you're a voice for the Savior. A voice for Jesus Christ. I mean, I read that before, but just some time ago I read it again and I said, Boy, Lord, that's a challenge to me. I want to be a voice. John the Baptist. That's why Jesus said that man was the greatest man that ever lived up to his time. What was so great about him? And you know, the another thing about John the Baptist? He was the one prophet who never did one single miracle. Some people think prophets must do miracles. John the Baptist did none. Elijah and Elisha did so many. John the Baptist did zero. And Jesus said he's the greatest prophet that ever walked on this earth. Not only the greatest prophet, he says he's the greatest man since Adam before Jesus was John the Baptist. And what did he say about himself? I'm a voice never sought to promote himself be a Christian like that, brothers Jesus said in Matthew 11 that the lowest member of the kingdom of heaven, of Christianity of a Christian, would be higher than John the Baptist, spiritually what does that mean? if I am to be higher than John the Baptist, spiritually, it means that I'll be willing to be humbler than him that's the meaning if he was only a voice I want to be less than that That is to be greater than John the Baptist. Because, I mean, Jesus is the humblest of the law, we can never reach his level. Uh, I was thinking, meditating the other day on this great verse, I mean, I've meditated on it many times before, but it came home fresh to my heart. It's amazing how the Bible is like a well from which you can keep drawing all the time, even after 60 years. Um, By the way, I was converted exactly 60 years ago. I was just celebrating my 60th anniversary this month of being born again. I was 19 and a half. I was in the naval base in July 1959. My ship had been—I mean, my spiritual ship was wandering, wandering, wandering for so many years. But that day I dropped an anchor. I believe Jesus accepted me. John 6:37. He never—he said, "I'll never cast you out." And I read that verse before, but that day it was like an anchor, and I never doubted it. All these 60 years, I've been anchored on that verse him that cometh to me I will never cast out even though since then I've made many mistakes, many blunders, disappointed the Lord, hurt him in so many ways, took time sometimes to confess my sin, took advantage of the Lord in many ways but he was so merciful merciful, merciful till he finally after about 16 years of being born again Christian the Lord began to open my eyes to the new covenant and to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and to knowing God as my Father, and to knowing this wonderful truth that God loves me exactly as He loved Jesus. So many things opened up to me, but for me it took many years to get there. And us that's increased my responsibility. But it's been my passion since then, to really become more... I knew that I realized then my destination was not heaven, Till then my destination was heaven. Now my destination was to become like Jesus Christ. It's very different from heaven. I told the Lord, I'm ready to go to hell. If you're there, I'll spend eternity with you in hell. No problem, because for me, I don't desire anything. I don't desire the comforts of heaven. I desire Jesus. And when I stand before the Lord... As we all will stand in the day of judgment. I don't know whether you realize that the fact that we are going to stand before the Lord should bring within us a great reverence and fear. If it doesn't bring a reverence and fear in you that you are going to stand before the Lord to give an account of everything in your life, I want to say to you, my dear brother and sister, I want to say it as lovingly as possible, there is something fundamentally wrong with your Christianity. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse 10 and 11 to be read together. 2 Corinthians 5:10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we will be recompensed. Recompense means rewarded or punished accordingly for the deeds we did in our body. According to whatever they're talking about, believers now, whether what we did was good or bad. And therefore, whenever you read therefore in the Bible, see what it is therefore. What is it therefore? It's related to the previous verse. It's saying, knowing the fear of the Lord. Why? Because we're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. I know the fear of God and we persuade men. And what about your own ambition, Paul? Verse 9, in light of the judgment seat... We have only one ambition. Whether at home in heaven or absent from home here on this earth, one ambition to please Him. You know, in the context, He's saying that one day we will be absent from the body and present to the Lord. He's saying in verse 1 and 2, our permanent home is heaven. So verse 9, whether we are in our permanent home in heaven or absent from our permanent home here on this earth, we want to be pleasing to Him. The meaning of that is, the way I pictured it in my mind is, when I get to heaven, my life is going to go full speed in one direction. Pleasing God, pleasing God, pleasing God. That's absolutely certain. You and me. We'll be going full speed in one direction in heaven. Pleasing God, pleasing God, pleasing God. And that we have no doubt about. And he's saying here that I want to go in the same direction when I'm absent from heaven here on this earth. That means it's not that I'm going in some other way here and suddenly the Lord comes and I have to change direction and stop pleasing Him. No! I want to be moving in exactly the same direction right now as I will be moving when I suddenly get transported to glory. If I die tonight or the Lord comes tomorrow, no change in direction. Oh, come Lord, we are going the same way. Pleasingly Lord, I hope all of us will take this challenge. That there will be no change of direction if Christ comes. Your ambition... What is it? Verse 9, what is our ambition? To please the Lord. Young people ask me, is it good to have an ambition? I say, yeah, sure. But make sure ambition is a good one. You know, children have all types of ambitions. I want to drive fire engines or I don't know how many of them grow up to drive fire engines when they grow up. It's all exciting things, you know. I want to be a marathon runner in the Olympics. But here's a good ambition that we can have and we can attain. An ambition to please the Lord in exactly the same way as I'll be doing when I'm absent from the body and present to the Lord. Lord, I don't want even a slight change of direction. It must be, I'll do it more perfectly then, but my ambition must be the same, even though I may do it more perfectly in heaven my ambition should not change at all he's not saying I'll be able to do it as perfectly on earth as I do it in heaven but I believe my ambition can be exactly the same here on earth as in heaven only please the Lord, in any situation, okay? what is pleasing to the Lord here, you're finding God's will about some complicated situation, Lord what's pleasing to you, that's all no other question what is pleasing to you not what is good for me or what is uh, most beneficial for me or what's most beneficial for my family or how much money I've learned. Okay, okay. Those are the things worldly people have as their ambition and those are the things that we also had once upon a time. But I hope we are converted. I hope you have turned around from that to say now I want to please the Lord. And don't think, you know, there's a word in English called spoil sport. Spoil sport means someone who likes to mess up your life in some way by spoiling your so sometimes people think God is a spoil sport if I yield completely to Him He'll mess up all my He'll tell me to take the worst possible job and uh, go and live in the most difficult place on earth to live what a crazy idea do you think your earthly father will do that to you? Many of you would you think your earthly father would try and plan something like that for you? And Jesus says, you earthly fathers know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your heavenly father? Many people have a wrong concept of God as a spoilsport. I say, he's a, my earthly father always plans something good for me. I've always planned something good for my children. And I tell you, my heavenly father is a million times better than that. Uh, plans what is good for me, but he knows what is eternally good for me. That's the advantage. So he may take me through some trials which I may like to avoid my children going through, but my father does not stop me from that because he knows that's good for me. So but we live in this fear. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord and I have to give an account to him. And when I give an account to him, the verse that has helped me, I hope it will help you also, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, I pictured it like this. When we all, you know, like... uh, one by one we are going to stand before the Lord to be judged by Him. And I picture Christ sitting at His judgment seat and He calls up different people by name. You know, millions of us we got all eternity, so plenty of time to do it. Uh, one by one He calls different ones and He goes through the record of their life. That's what we read. Everything done in His body. Maybe there's going to be a video that the whole world can see. The video of all that you did, at least at least from the time you were born again, okay, all the past is blotted out. But from the time you were born again, everything that you did, every sin that you confessed and forsook is cleansed. That will not be in the video because you confessed it, forsook it. But if you didn't forgive somebody or you did not ask forgiveness from somebody, all that will be there. A lot of things are going to be in that video, and when the Lord plays that video there. Are there things which will make me shrink in shame? Do you know the Bible says that when Jesus comes again there are going to be two categories of believers. Now we all know there are two categories of believers and unbelievers. But here's two categories of believers when Christ comes. Turn with me to 1 John and chapter 2. When Christ comes again 1 John, and chapter 2, and uh, verse 28. Can you see the two categories there? My little children, when Christ appears, there will be two categories of people. One who have confidence and boldness and say, Yeah, Lord, praise God you come. I'm waiting to stand at your judgment seat. One group is like that. And the other... Believers now. Still believers. Oh Lord! Have you come already? And I haven't settled those matters. I haven't repaid those debts. I haven't asked forgiveness from that guy. I didn't go and forgive that other person. And they shrink away. These are believers in shame. A lot of people think that all believers are going to be the same. I don't think so. There are two groups right here. And I'll show you from Revelation and there are two groups. A lot of people don't like to face up to this but it is true. You might as well face up to it now. Here is one group in heaven. Revelation chapter 7. And I saw a great multitude verse 9 Revelation 7, 9 No one could count. No one could count means billions and billions. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about people who are in heaven. Okay, praise the Lord. Billions of people in heaven from every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. Now I want to tell you quite honestly if you study the spread of Christianity right now up to the 21st century, every nation has not been covered with the Gospel. Every tongue does not have a Bible. Every tribe does not have one convert at least from every tribe. I mean even in India in the Andamans, there is a tribe there and not a single person has been converted from there. But here it says there will be from every tribe and tongue and nation. And I'll tell you who they are. In every tribe and every tongue and every nation in the world, babies have died at birth that's how there's going to be people from every tribe and tongue and nation in heaven not one will be left out because from every nation and every tribe there have been babies that have died at birth and they all go straight to heaven not because they are babies but because the blood of Jesus is put to their account you know just like you can be a millionaire's son baby and a baby and you can have a bank account of a million when you are one day old because the daddy put that much in your account so the blood of Jesus is put to the account of babies who have not consciously committed any sin. So there will be some from every tribe, tongue and nation there. Think of all the aborted babies. Millions of aborted babies even in the educated countries. They're going to be there. And then, what do they say? All that they say is our salvation is due To what the Lord has done for us. They cry out, saying, Verse 10, our salvation is due to our God who sits on the throne and our Lamb. What do we have? Verse 13, we have white robes and we have made them white, verse 14, in the blood of the Lamb. That is their only testimony. Even babies are born in sin, but it has been cleansed. Even that baby that never saw life on earth that aborted baby that's in heaven now, say, the blood of Jesus has allowed me to be cleansed and I can stand here. And the great sinner who died, the thief on the cross who murdered people till almost the last day of his life, he says, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me, I'm here. They cannot boast about anything. My robe was filthy. But the blood of Jesus made me clean. I cannot boast about anything else. I didn't do a single thing for the Lord. The baby says that, the thief on the cross says that, but the blood of Jesus says, cleanse me, I am here. And how many are there? Millions, billions. But there's another group in heaven, which is a little smaller group. The first group is so big, you cannot count them. The second group is small enough to be counted. I mean, it's fairly large, but it's small enough to be counted. Revelation 14. Remember, Revelation is a book of symbols, so when it says 144,000 is not literally 144,000. The meaning is, in Revelation 7 is a number that cannot be counted. In chapter 14 is a number that can be counted. That's the only difference. It need not be exactly 144,000. But this is a group of people who have the name of the Father and of the Lord Jesus written on their foreheads? Now you need to see that the contrast is between the followers of the Antichrist, who have the name of the and, and name of the uh, Antichrist written. Either verse, chapter, the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 16. The Antichrist allows you to have his mark on the forehead, verse 13, 16, or on your right hand. But the Lamb of God does not allow you to have it on the right hand. It must be chapter 14, verse 1, on the forehead. You've got to see the contrast. The devil allows you to follow him publicly. I am a follower of Satan on your forehead. Or secretly, hide it inside your right hand and... Uh, Follow the devil secretly in your office and come to the church and act like a wholehearted believer. Follow the devil watching pornography in your room, uh, secretly even come to the church and look smart. The devil allows people to be secret believers, secret followers of him. but Or a public follower like the Satanists and worshippers, both types. There are religions where they put the mark of the... Says religion on their forehead they openly proclaim I am a follower of this wrong religion or something but there are others who follow the same unrighteous principles but are in secret the devil says I allow you put the mark on the hand so nobody will see it but the Lord Jesus says no if you want to follow me verse 14 you must have my name on your forehead there is no such thing as being a secret follower of me Wherever you go, you're publicly known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of it, whether you're a schoolboy, a college student, or working in an office where everybody's corrupt, you stand up for... You don't have to be a preacher, but you see, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, it's one of the greatest honors and privileges. I had such tremendous opportunities to do that when I worked in the Navy with unconverted, non-Christian bosses before whom I had to say, sorry sir I'm a Christian and I cannot do that what an honor and sometimes they would punish me for it I would suffer for it, fine I mean they almost locked me up in prison when I refused to not for being a Christian but for refusing to obey an order which I said I cannot do with a clear conscience I'm sorry sir ok but somehow God protected me from that but I'm thankful and I was only 23 years old and uh, I had I had a number of occasions to do that and then after the Lord had seen me doing that one day the Lord said ok you can quit the Navy and serve me now and he tested me for years before doing that I think mainly to see that when he took me into the ministry, years later, whether I would stand up against all the corruption there is in Christianity. But he trained me out there, out there in the navy. And I, well, I'm telling you this: that God is, God will give you opportunities in your place of work to stand up for what is the truth. And I remember one secretary for a, in an office a Christian, asked me this question: "Brother Zach, see, I'm sitting with the." Boss in the office, and the phone rings. And those, I mean, those not cell phones those days. These hand phones on the table. Was years ago. And the boss asks, the secretary says, "Brother Zach, the boss asked me to pick up the phone, and if he's asking calling for me, tell him I'm not here." What should I do? So I said, "You discover it only when you pick up the phone. What is who is asking for?" so here's what you should do you pick up the phone and your boss has told you and that chap asks you is the boss here put the phone back disconnect the phone and he'll ring again now tell the boss sir please ask somebody else to answer the phone now because the chef going to call again I'm a Christian I cannot tell a lie you may lose your job I tell you in Jesus name you'll get a better one I've seen people this is what I've taught and I've seen ex- people experience it. Because of one verse in scripture which says, Those who honor me, I will honor. I've experienced it myself so many times. Once I got a transfer in half an hour after I <laughs> took a stand for something. I was turned out of my job and given another one. I said, praise the Lord. So, those are precious experiences. So, have the mark on the forehead, but this number is very small. And what is the characteristic of them? It says here, they... one It's uh, described in verse 4. They followed the Lord, the Lamb, wherever He went. Wherever Jesus went, they looked for the footsteps of Jesus and they walked there always looking for the footsteps of Jesus sometimes it's not very pleasant I remember when religious people took me to court once in India the Lord spoke to me that the first day I stepped into the court He said don't forget religious people have taken me also to court two thousand years ago look for my footsteps here I said what are those footsteps faith in a loving heavenly father and love for your accusers I said, great, that's what I'm going to walk in. Faith and love. Faith in my Heavenly Father controlling all circumstances here in the court. And love for those people accusing me there to love them and bless them when I meet them. Good. I did that. That's that's a wonderful experience. So, follow the Lamb wherever He goes. It's not always easy. Jesus didn't have an easy path. But it's wonderful to be in that small group of people. Not like the millions who say, Oh, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I was a rotten sinner. But somehow the blood cleansed me. I'm here. That's great. Praise the Lord. Brother, you're my brother in Christ. But I want to have to... I don't want to be like the dying thief. What do you think regret the dying thief has in heaven today? oh I wish I had lived at least one day for my savior I did not even get one day to live for him think of the regret that man has I got saved and I died immediately and he'll tell you you guys are so lucky after you got saved you had so many years I hope you did something for the Lord in those years that's what the dying thief will tell you and me and I want to say yes my brother the Lord gave me 60 years after I was converted and I could do things for him I hope you left some testimony like that That you followed the lamb wherever he went and it says here they were those who kept themselves when it says they were verse 4 they were not defiled with women the women mentioned are the daughters of Babylon you read that in chapter 17 corrupt Christianity is called a harlot system full of harlots, spiritual harlotry and this is a group that kept themselves from the spiritual harlotry of the daughters of Babylon, Babylon and his daughters it speaks in chapter 17 they did not defile themselves with compromising Christianity Babylon is compromising Christianity so that these are the things that we need to judge ourselves in and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us how we can be ready for the coming of the Lord 1 Corinthians 11 think of this day when we stand before Jesus and He judges all human beings there are many things we regret for failures we ask God to forgive us and repent from those failures you know when I think of the Apostle Paul He lived 67 years and then he was beheaded by Nero, the emperor. Out of those 67 years, 30 years, he did wrong things. What type of wrong things? Worse than you and me. He persecuted Christians and killed some of them. Anybody here done anything like that? Imagine having a record where I have persecuted God's people and killed some of them, then I get converted. I know, I regret the years but I disappointed the Lord so much, but you know what the result of that was? When I meditate on those years, I say, Lord, I'm going to run much faster because I wasted so much time. It's like that Olympic runner I saw in a video of one of those recent Olympics, one of those African long distance runners, he tripped and fell. And he got up, you know, once you trip and fall in a race, it's almost impossible to win. This guy tripped and fell, and got up, and ran and came first. I said, wow, what an example for me because he, he said I've got to make up for this time I lost that's exactly how I felt I said Lord I've lost a lot of time by being half-hearted and not serious in my Christian life I have to make up for it I can't be like all these other young fellows who sort of slowly move along at a steady pace I have no time for that steady pace I've got to go full speed because i wasted so much time I've told people in my own home church I said many of you guys are learning things at the age of 17 and 18 what I learned when I was 36 so you have much more opportunity if you come to my age 80 to go way much further than I have come in the Christian life but when I see the way you're living I don't think you'll beat me because I've got so much regret over the way I messed up things in my life that I'm going full speed and I don't see you guys going full speed like that I see you guys are so careless and slack and drifting along you come to a good new covenant church but you're not radical and so I tell you I'm disappointed in uh, the sort of half-hearted way, you're moving in the right direction, agreed, and you've understood all the new covenant and all. But it's not a radical, whole-hearted, fast pace at which you're running. That's how Paul felt. I've messed up so much of my life. I've done so many evil things. Peter, Paul, Peter, John, James, and all haven't done it. I've got to run. And that's why God picked him up and used him so much. There's no partiality with God. There's no partiality. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He says, if you seek Me with all your heart, you will find Me. Whoever you are, there's no partiality with Me. So 1 Corinthians 11, come to this verse, has been a tremendous help to me. When the Lord judges everyone, it says here, 1 Corinthians 11, 31. 1 Corinthians 11 31 If we judge ourselves rightly 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 in the day of judgment we will not be judged. What a promise. That means my turn comes to stand before the Lord. The Lord calls out Zach Punin and I come and stand there and the Lord opens the records, the video No, Zach, nothing to be judged. Wow! (laughs) Can you imagine how excited I'll be? Is there anything on earth to compare with that? Well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing to be judged. It says here, there'll be nothing to be judged. Why? Because I tried my best to judge myself every day from the time I got light. And I decided to run faster than the others because I wasted so many years of my life. Dear brothers and sisters, take it seriously. We can glory in the fact like the Pharisee Jesus says, all that this church says to you, do, do. NCCF is teaching the right thing. Everything they tell you to do, do. Believe what they do. This is absolutely the right doctrine. You won't find another church like that in California. Great. It means nothing. You can boast about it, glory about it. But it will mean nothing when you stand before the Lord if you have not judged yourself rightly. That born-again God-fearing man from the Roman Catholic Church may be ahead of you because he judged himself rightly. His doctrines may have been wrong, but the Lord will say, look at that what man did with that wrong doctrine. And how you should have been way ahead of him with all the right doctrines. To whom more is given, more will be required. I've had some people tell me, Brother Zach, my life, I can't progress much because my wife is so half-hearted and not serious, disciple. I say, you know what will happen to you in the day of judgment? When you stand before the Lord and give that excuse, Lord, I couldn't wholeheartedly follow you because my wife was such a drag on me. The Lord will say, hey, let me call that man from there, that man from that country, come here. He'll call him before you and say, I'll show you a video of his life and show you what type of wife he had. <laughs> you see that? How she yelled and screamed at him and did all types of things against him. But see what a wholehearted life he lived. What do you have to say? Your mouth will be shut. John Wesley was one of the greatest men of God who lived on this earth and is a witness for Christ. He had a wife who was really unconverted would pull his hair in the presence of his senior co-workers he she would open up the letters which he had written for posting and when he was away he would she would open up and write some other nonsense inside that in those letters fold it up stick it and mail it have you got a wife like that don't ever complain that your wife or your husband is not whole-hearted there is absolutely no excuse God's grace is sufficient to overcome every single problem. You have only yourself to blame if you sin. You have only yourself to blame if you are not becoming more like Christ at least every year. And people around you should be able to listen to it. Whenever I hear some couple comes to me and some brother says, brother I've been listening to your message for ten years. I, I say, I want to ask your wife whether you've become a better husband. Otherwise, what are you saying? You've listened to me for ten years. Let your wife tell me that you've become a much better husband in 10 years. Ah, then something has happened. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. It's very easy for people to listen to me and get a lot of knowledge. Correct knowledge. But it doesn't help. To know that 2 times 2 is 4, 2 times 3 is 6 is all accurate. But how does it help you spiritually? So it's very, very important, dear brothers and sisters, to be ready for the coming of Christ with judging ourselves rightly and having no regret when we stand before the Lord. May the Lord help us. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Thank you, Father, for your word which is a lamp to our feet and light to our path and above all the life of Jesus which is a tremendous example for us to follow. Please help us, we pray everyone here Lord we know you have great plans for this church and for the truth that is proclaimed here that can transform lives and families we pray that you will bless every single person here and all those who have come newly and those who are seeking to be members here Lord we pray there will be a radical attitude towards discipleship and also an unashamed proclamation of their loyalty to Christ in a time like this where so many are compromising Help this church and everyone here to be true to you. We know we will have no regret when we stand before you face to face. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.